At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Pete, thanks for being on the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Bing, bang, boom, you reach out and poof, we're doing an episode just like that. Just like that. Well, I'll take it. Uh, let's just start off with, tell me about your foundation and what it does. Sure. We started, I started uh, ASM Foundation with a close friend of mine from high school who attended the Citadel and then went into the Navy for a number of years. And we both... Um, suffered from the repercussions of uh, law enforcement and military experience, which is um, what we've come to find neural inflammation and endocrine system dysfunction. So we found alternative therapies to be the most successful for our own healing and wanted to offer that to others going through similar situations. So we started ASM foundation to sponsor first responders and veterans to receive alternative therapies for uh, the treatment of PTSD. What therapies have you found to be the most, the highest efficacy so far? Sure. Um, Hormone therapy is what I've utilized, which is primarily supplements, a lot of high dosage vitamins. Um, In my case, uh, I had had enough head trauma growing up through sports and just being a, a kid growing up in rural Indiana that uh, I also needed certain hormones like testosterone, estrogen blockers, and human growth hormone. Uh, the majority of cases um, for, for those people who have not experienced the, the same level of head trauma, they may just need the supplements, the high dosage vitamins, but we also encourage something called MERT, which is electromagnetic stimulation. It's very focused to damage portions of the brain. Um, that has shown wild success. There's a new system that uh, I should be more familiar with by next week that is a stem cell IV drip that can penetrate the blood brain barrier and help heal <clears throat> damaged portions of the brain. But Beyond that, we're also looking at the psychedelic options that have become wildly beneficial for many people, Um, breath work, you know, a number of different things, all to get away from the pharmaceutical options that, at least in, in my experience and opinion, are essentially cortisone shots for the brain. They don't address causation. They don't address any level of healing. And we know what happens to a a knee when there's damage enough to necessitate a cortisone shot. If you continue utilizing that cortisone shot long-term, the joint itself just deteriorates and breaks down until you ultimately need to replace it. We don't have that option with the brain. We can't replace the brain the way that we can with a hip or a knee or a shoulder. So we need to start looking at methods of healing the brain, and we have a multitude of of ways to do that if we utilize them in the the proper manner. What do you think the barrier is, Pete? Because quite clearly our psychiatrists and, and psychologists are focusing on the cause, not on the causes, but on the symptoms, and not not even understanding really the causes or or what to do with that. Why do you think that is? I think we've had massive uh, strides in the medical industry in the last twenty to thirty years, um, and a better understanding of what I was suggesting earlier: the causation. Um, if we're looking at uh, PTSD, for instance, or what we've referred to as PTSD. It's generally been thought of, and if you read the medical definition, PTSD is um, caused from experiencing or witnessing traumatic events. Most of the guys and girls that I've spoken to that are coming out of this and being diagnosed with PTSD have a similar statement to, I I was never traumatized by anything I saw or did. My brain just stopped working. I couldn't sleep anymore. Uh, My short-term memory was shot. I was having the nightmares and and everything else that comes along with it. Um, So I don't think that we had enough doctors focused on legitimate causation, which has been, as I understand it, narrowed down to three essential things. 
One is sleep imbalances. Another is prolonged stress. And the third is head trauma. Any one of those can cause endocrine system dysfunction and neural inflammation. Those three coupled together are essentially a powder keg. So that's why we're seeing the suicide rates that we are, the addiction rates, the divorce rates. I think a lot of the social issues that we're seeing down here in, in the U.S. are directly related to police officers going out with insufficient sleep, um, poor diets that are both contributing to further neural inflammation, uh, further endocrine system dysfunction. And when we can re-regulate that endocrine system and bring down that neural inflammation, we're seeing the symptoms that people have suffered from really disappear. So how would you describe the endocrine system? Because I'm, I'm not familiar. Sure. It, at, at the most boiled down point, it's what regulates your hormones within, within your body. Okay. And this is a huge, I mean, we can really go down the rabbit hole with endocrine system issues as far as uh, birth control and teenage girls and how much that's affecting their, their moods. Uh, we have incredible rates of uh, self-harm with teenage girls in the U.S., I'm not sure what the rates are in, in Canada and other nations, but um, they're rampant here in the U.S., uh, as well as suicide rates. And I think a lot of that can be direct, uh, a direct result of um, uh, birth control that is just sending their hormones all over the place. And, of course, the profit is so great on that that you're not going to see studies looking into it. And, and obviously we're going to – this this issue is going to have some resistance from the pharmaceutical industry, um, certain politicians that want to promote uh, or, or you know have back. That's that's a whole other issue. Uh, what I have quickly found is that that's a fight that we'll we'll have to run up against down the road if it's something that comes up. But right now we have a legitimate path to get people healing if they choose to to take these opportunities. The the insurance agencies are, are, are not covering these methods of treatment, so it has to come out of pocket. That's why we're trying to raise the funds and awareness that um, we, we can solve a lot of these issues. And it, the most beautiful part that I've seen is not just the healing for the individuals, whether it's a veteran or a former or active first responder. It's the families. It's, it's the wives that are saying, my husband was a Vietnam veteran and I've spent the last 40 years um, not knowing how he's going to be when he goes to sleep at night, not knowing what mood he's going to be in tomorrow versus today, the ups and downs. Um, and since getting these treatments, they have their loved ones back the way that they had hoped to have them prior to going and experiencing these conflicts. Um, so it, it's, it involves a lot more than the individual getting the treatment. Their entire families benefit from this, which is a really beautiful thing. Well, a big part of this show is talking to people like yourself who are knowledgeable in different modalities. And I also uh, talk with people that are running those modalities and offering them to, to the public so that people can go through the show list, like, uh, like a menu and go, I want to learn about this, or I want to lo- uh, learn about that. And um, I think this is the first time I've had a conversation with somebody who's also an aggregate um, and busy vetting what works, what doesn't work, what works the best. And, you know, uh, from this end, it's mostly uh, anecdotal. And I listen to people reporting the science, (laughs) which is always the way people go, I'm just following the science. Well, actually, you're following what somebody is telling you the science is. Right. (laughs) You're not looking at it yourself, which is why I've got a lot of value with anecdotal stories. People that say, this is where I was, and this is where I, I now am, and this is how I got there. And when you're evaluating different modalities, where do you put the weight? Great question. Um, my, my personal experience goes a, a long way with what I'm advocating for, the, the experiences of other people that I've spoken with. So to give you an example, um, as, as this all started for me in uh, mid-year 2019 was when the wheels really started coming off. Um, I started getting treatment by, or when I say treatment, I got diagnosed with PTSD and, and was prescribed pharmaceuticals 
um, I was on Xanax and Lexapro. Um, I probably spent four to six months utilizing those two and um, didn't find any relief. Now, that, that said, I admittedly was consuming high amounts of alcohol to be able to sleep. I, I, I went from probably averaging two to four hours of sleep a night throughout my 10 to 12 year career as a first responder to sleeping no more than 20 minutes at a time. Um, so alcohol after I hadn't drank in almost 13 years, alcohol became my crutch to, to not just be able to sleep, but to calm down at the end of a shift. Uh, you and I were talking about earlier when you're dealing with these brain injuries, um, like the majority of us are the magnification of negative emotions in particular, like stress, um, the, the hypervigilance that so many of us have to deal with, um, anxiety, depression, they are magnified to a level that, that hopefully most people never have to experience. Yeah. When people are witnessing it, our family members, they think we're being dramatic. Absolutely. But it's, Absolutely. that's not what's happening. We're not being dramatic. This is how we feel. Right. Um, it, so it took me a long time to look at the fact that none of the pharmaceuticals that I was taking were addressing legitimate healing or what, what I wanted to understand. It, and this is, the, I, I, I attribute this directly to being in the military and law enforcement communities. Generally, when we encounter a problem, our method for processing that problem is understanding the, 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 the mechanics of it. If I can understand how the problem works and what the malfunction is, I can fix it. So that was immediately my approach to it. And I quickly found the work of, of Dr. Gordon and uh, a number of other people that were looking at these alternative therapies. By the time that I finally got treatment, I had digressed to such a point that I was having difficulty formulating sentences. I was going through depressive waves that, that suicide was and suicide was a really interesting thing to me because it wasn't what I expected. I was essentially feeling so God awful, both physically and mentally, that there was a voice just on repeat, a repeat cycle in my head telling me there's a really easy way not to feel this way anymore. You're not going to be a burden on your family and the people that love you anymore. It was uh, my conscious thoughts were trying to convince me to just end end the battle that's going on inside. Was there another voice that was arguing? There was another voice telling me if we can get through this, we can save other people. And that was luckily the one that I listened to, but I have a level of compassion for anybody going, it used to feel like a very suicide to me as a whole used to feel like a very selfish, narcissistic decision for somebody to make coming out and being on the other side of it, I can see now that it, it's almost not a decision that you're making it's when not. your brain is literally telling you this is in your best interest. No. It is a the loneliest place you can possibly be. Nobody, or at least when you're in those moments, it feels like nobody could possibly understand how this feels. I know the conversation. I, um, I, I kept it quiet for about two months, but I let it go. Uh, then told my kids, I had, um, pardon me, <clears throat> still tough to say. <laughs> so <Yeah>. my, <clears throat> I, um, I attempted to take my life uh, July 31st of this year. And I had no intention. Um, it was just I had what's called a disassociative episode. So my brain fucking broke. It just wasn't working anymore. And, and I knew I was in a flap. So I jump on the motorbike to try to go, because um, that's my coping mechanism, get on the bike, get some wind therapy. But it wasn't working. Uh, my brain was on overload. There's just too many big events that were happening all at the same time. And I was completely ungrounded and in a complete flap. And I was using every tool that I had to try to get level. Well, when I'm sitting in a field in the mountains out of cell service, still trying to connect with nature, get grounded, looking at a deer, looking at the sky, looking at the river, those two voices were going too. You know, yeah. uh, but what happened was that uh, the voice that was trying to talk sense into me going, no, don't pull that knife out of your pocket. No. The second I, di I did, then I opened up the blade. I couldn't hear that voice anymore. All I could hear was the other voice going, hey, I wonder what this feels like. It'd be kind of cool. 
it'd be like getting a tattoo, that bit of a sting and open it up. Right. And, yeah. You know, it'd be cool. And in the sense of just falling asleep, how fantastic would that be? And so here's my question to you. Because I, I, I know what my belief is. You think it was your brain that it was, that it was internal forces. It was just your subconscious doing this. Are you, uh, would you consider that it's not? That there, that there are angels and demons, and that's what 100%. you were hearing. Yeah. It was, it was very interesting to me. I, I grew up in a Christian, uh, uh, with a Christian family and, and Christian household. Um, and I think any of us that go operate in, in these worlds, you inevitably challenge a lot of uh, your ideas of faith. And I think it's very difficult when you're in the, the kind of swirling tornado of these afflictions to fall back on those faith, that, that faith directly. Um, I, I think of myself as more connected now to um, a, a higher power without necessarily the, the being affiliated with one group or another. But it was very interesting to me that somebody that I, I reached out to when I was in one of those desperate moments asked me, does it feel like you're, and this was not coming from a, uh, a specific denomination. It was more of a, a spiritual understanding. She just said, does it feel like you're possessed? And I said, yes, I, like, I do Absolutely. not feel like I am control of my thoughts. Um, and she said, that's a really common sentiment that I hear often. It doesn't feel like you're in control. Something else has control. Um, and, and whether we want to call it angels and, and demons, uh, whatever that was that, that pulled me through, um, I give full credit to it now and believe wholeheartedly that there was a reason and that it was, uh, it was to try to bring the same type of healing and clarity to other people. Um, and, you know, in, in, I can remember getting really upset at a friend of mine who called me in the midst of this and said, this would be a really good time to, to focus on some medica- meditation and, and, you know, getting your gut microbiome in check. I couldn't agree more that meditation and, and gut microbiome work are very important things to focus on. Yeah. But when you're in the midst of that storm, yeah. I think the only thing you can do is, is survive and, and understand that, it's a temporary feeling and, and location. That How you did you survive emotion. the storm? Literally just biting down and, and telling myself that I'm, I'm not giving up. There, there's a way. But you have to understand, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by a lot of people. Like I wanted to be healed. I believed that there was a path to healing. I was not so desperate that I thought, it's always going to feel like that. Even though in the moment when you're, when you're stuck in that, it feels like this is just what I'm going to have to get used to for the rest of my life. And that felt unbearable. I I didn't think there was any possible way that I could survive the rest of my life feeling like that. But luckily I had enough for whatever reason, enough space in my head to understand this is temporary. And if I can just survive, I can get to the other side and show people that this is a, a matter of, you have to take your healing in as it has to be your goal, your responsibility. You can't rely on other people to help you. But we as a community of, of people that have gotten to the other side also have to be there to offer these options and explain, hey, if you're feeling this desperate, let's get you some help tonight. Whether that is addiction therapy, whether that is just getting somebody over there to sit with them until the next day and they feel better, whether that's diet. Most of the times that I felt the absolute worst were times that I was completely reliant on, on alcohol. I was not focusing on my diet. I was not focusing on exercise, sunlight, all the tools that we understand are necessary to be as healthy as you possibly can be both emotionally and physically. Um, I was going down into the bucket and excuse me, the, I I don't want to excuse this behavior, but I wasn't, there were several times 
I would come to driving and not know how I got in my car when I started driving, where I was going. Um, I just come to driving. There were times that I would come to, to, two bourbon drinks into a, a bottle of bourbon without any conscious memory of where that bottle came from. There were four and five day benders with no food, no water, just booze. And I didn't remember how it started. I just woke up one day <clears throat> feeling positive that I was going to die. Um, it is impossible for somebody that hasn't been through this to understand the complexities the confusion that comes along with it, you are not operating. And that's where what you're talking about, the the kind of sense of being possessed or, or some demon quality, you're not in control of your thoughts. You're not in control of sometimes what you are doing physically. You're almost on autopilot to a level that is unquestionably to your detriment, but to a dangerous level of, um, you know, who knows how I could have acted out of when I was in one of these blacked out periods that didn't involve alcohol. When I was sober, when I went and bought that first bottle, I just don't remember. It was like something inside of me woke me up and took me to this place, got a bottle. I started drinking and that started a four or five day pattern that could have easily killed me. And then I had this huge hole to crawl out of that took one or two weeks just to physically feel better again. There's so many people that they just don't get it. And it's, it's tough to get it unless you've experienced it. I got so many friends that in the beginning when I said, yeah, I just got diagnosed with PTSD and they look at me like, what? You? What are you talking about? You look fine. Right. Yeah. And yet um, when they hear conversations like what we're having right now, and I'll share with you right now, since we started, my tinnitus has been screaming in this year like you can't fucking believe. And... But you're looking at me and you don't know that, right? Right. And, 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 and people can't understand how pain, uh, not painful, but um, aggravating it is to have that scre- yeah. screaming in your ear while I'm trying to have a conversation. You know, so it's all these invisible wounds that um, because for so long there was so much stigma and so much shame, nobody fucking talked about it. So everybody they- thought they were the only one. There's also that suck it up mentality yeah, that, that's right. and, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, because if we look at it historically, we didn't understand causation. We didn't understand methods for legitimate healing. So the best process was legitimately suck it up because there was nothing else to do. Um, but we've gotten to a point now to where number one, they weren't using flashbangs and, and short-barreled rifles. The, the IEDs were not the issue that they are now. We weren't exposed to the shockwaves that so many of our military and, and law enforcement personnel are being exposed to now. So the, the amplification has gone up with our generation of being exposed to this stuff on a more regular basis. And then you, you look at the, the burn pit exposure stuff. There, there's a whole new level of toxicity, both chemically and physiologically, that's coming into these communities. And we're seeing the repercussions, which is the depression, the suicide, the addiction rates, the divorce. Um, you know, Pete, I just want to interject. Um, uh, I've been meaning to, to comment on it earlier. You really seem to have uh, to interchange uh, PTSD with TBIs because you talk about yeah. the concussives and, and all that. Well, that those are TBIs. But um, is there any value in separating a TBI from PTSD or are they close enough to being the same thing that, uh, that we can talk about them in the same breath? Great question. So with TB and I'll, I'll give the caveat, I am not a doctor. I spend the majority of my time in this space speaking with doctors and other people that have had similar exposures and similar experiences. Um, I often attributed them to being very separate uh, issues. So TBI for, for the majority of my life, I associated with loss of consciousness, uh, concussive hit, you know, blast, whether that is blunt trauma or well, generally blunt trauma, right? We have football falling off of something. You hit your head, you can have open book fractures. Um, 
those are really bad. But most people take preventative steps to ensure that they don't incur further damage once they have experienced a, and, and that's considered a macro concussion. Micro concussions are small blasts to the brain, be it from blunt trauma or from concussive blasts. So we know using short-barreled rifles in tight confines, uh, small explosives, large explosives, flashbangs, for those who aren't aware, uh, when you hear a gunshot, that is not the gunpowder exploding. It is the projectile breaking the sound barrier, and that blast wave coming out can penetrate bone, but is absorbed by soft tissue, namely our brains. So we're taking all these micro concussions over and over and over again. I only had one loss of consciousness in however many years I was playing contact sports, and I was still moving the whole time. I just don't remember any of it. But I regularly saw flashes of light, would smell funny stuff, would be dizzy after games, nauseous, because I was using my head as a battle ram through, be it hockey or football, um, and had no consciousness of the long-term repercussions of those head trauma. That said, I had a great conversation the other day with somebody who explained somebody who has never had any level of head trauma, macro or micro concussions can still have an abundance of neural inflammation purely from prolonged stress or, and, or sleep imbalances. Both of those cause enough of a disruption in our endocrine system that it contributes to neural inflammation. That neural inflammation is actually what's causing the tinnitus. So when mine was the worst, my tinnitus sounded like a fax machine ringer going off in my head. It was overwhelming. You, I mean, if for most of us, we have a difficult time laying down in bed. We start focusing on the ambient noise in and around us. If that's silent enough, we can sometimes calmly fall asleep. But the second a noise happens, we spring up. Having that tinnitus drowning that sound out makes us more hypervigilant, causes more anxiety, allows us less Creates sleep. a negative feedback loop. 100%. Mine is now still recognizable, but substantially less than it used to be. And I know a number of guys that have uh, remedied their tinnitus altogether through these treatment protocols, which is really, really exciting. And another thing to mention is... That is interesting because that hasn't even been mentioned to me um, at, at VAC. I said, well, we got this hearing aid, so they, they kind of uh, counter-noises it and, and, and balances out. It's like, well, it's not consistent enough. You know, it's screaming right now still, on and off, but it's not consistent enough that um, the hearing aid would be in and out all day. Yeah, and, and again, a hearing aid is, is a, a patch for the problem. It's, it's not, not addressing not fixing healing or, or causation. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, another issue that a lot of people have had is kind of a, a constant sinus issue where there's constant stuffy nose that is thought to be caused by the neural inflammation as well, pressing against a plate behind your sinus cavity that then initiates the sinuses to produce mucus. And you have people constantly doing snot rocks or blowing their nose, whatever it might be. But, um, those two issues are, are pretty substantial indicators of neural inflammation that again, how do you get checked for neural inflammation? Because it, uh, for myself at the dinner table, I'm, I was like, Oh, anytime I meet and I got to be blowing my nose like crazy. I always figured it's from the gas chambers. Right. Yeah. Um, a number of different things. The, the blood panels that, uh, Dr. Gordon, who, who we've partnered with is utilizing, gives a lot of indicators that will suggest, uh, neural inflammation, uh, MRIs can be utilized, CAT scans. Uh, there's a Doc Amon who, uh, Amen, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but he is uh, very, he's kind of at the, the tip of the spear with um, looking at athletes, veterans, first responders, people that have been exposed to uh, different levels of, of TBI. And look, CTE was something that I absolutely scoffed at when it was first started being What's a talking CTE? point. C CTE, it's um, chronic traumatic endro. I can't, I can't pronounce <laughs> the last word, but ultimately it is 
it's what we're seeing a lot of the professional athletes that are the, the, in a, namely NFL players. Um, I think hockey is, is another sport that um, is very prevalent with CTE. So you have, when you have continued, be it micro or macro concussions, cellularly, the brain will start to deteriorate. CTE is where you have crossed the line. So if we use the liver as an example, because it's a more familiar pattern that people understand, an alcoholic can drink for however long of a process, and they will begin to start developing scar tissue on their brain, cellularly, the, the, or I'm, I'm sorry, on the liver, cellularly, the liver will start to break down, and that's when we start to see cirrhosis. Once we have cirrhosis, you've crossed the line, your liver is going to continue to deteriorate until it, it fails and, and the person dies unless they get a, a transplant. The brain is similar in that cellularly, if given the opportunity, the brain will uh, start to reproduce those cells, which is called neuroplasticity. We can encourage neuroplasticity through a, a number of different means, um, but if it's not caught in time and treated appropriately, we get to what is essentially the cirrhosis of the brain, which is what they have called CTE. Um, and it's just the, de- the cellular de- degeneration of the brain. That's where psychedelics symptom, could be helpful. The, uh, psilocybin is, is thought to be one of the best means uh, to encourage neuroplasticity. Um, that vitamins, obviously not being exposed to, uh, blast waves and, and, and smacking your noggin around. I'm, I'm, even if I'm in the gym and somebody's deadlifting and they're kind of dropping the weight, I'll move to the other side because just that jarring of the dropping, it does, my eyes get wonky. And I really, when you suffer from TBIs, are you, uh, do people tend to be more sound sensitive? Sound and light. If only I would have known these things. Absolutely. <laughs> People used to make well, fun of me like you can't believe when I was, uh, we're all at our desks and everybody wants the, they called me the mushroom. I'm like, dude, you don't understand. I can't, I need these blinds down. Like this isn't negotiable. Right. And, uh, and they would laugh at me, make fun of me. And of course I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'm very fair eyed. Um, I, it's hard for me to go outside if it's, uh, daytime without sun sunglasses on um i I, it's hard for me to see um and a lot of that is is coupled with the fact that there's there has been substantial head trauma the operators aren't just wearing those oakley's for fashion right yeah Uh, actually let's talk about that um uh, for the audience and for myself uh, give us a brief synopsis on your uh service history I started out in search and rescue in the Telluride uh, area, which is southwest Colorado. Um, I spent uh, about 10 years helping uh, run that team and rotated. It was a, a year-round, very active team. We were doing everything from high alpine Is that rescues. civilian search and rescue? It's So our search and rescue teams, um, I believe nationally, but certainly in, in the southwest region of the U.S. are operated through share, the local sheriff's office uh, assigned to that county. Okay. So after about three years of doing that, I was invited to become a patrol deputy so that I could move into more of a supervisory role with the team. Um, not a lot of crime in that county, but <clears throat> very active search and rescue team. Um, and did that for uh, a, you know another five years, maybe I I can't remember the exact timeline now, but, uh, ultimately transferred agencies to a larger County and took on a SWAT role and did that for about four years. And when I moved into the the SWAT role, obviously that's when I was being exposed to a lot more flashbangs, small explosives. Um, I was also a firearms instructor. So we would spend, 10, 12 hours on a range and on a training day and doing the team stuff on top of that. So you're just being exposed to repetitive blasts. Um, obviously for those who, who don't know, um, in a tactical situation, we generally wear what we call ear pro ear protection, um, that doesn't protect you from the blast wave, but it, 
they're they're noise canceling so you can hear ambient sound but you can't tell directional sound so more often than not i would pop one off so if somebody was walking up from the side or behind us i could i could tell which direction they were walking from which then you're you're catching all the noise um afterwards so damage to the eardrums um you know it's it's not not a profession, be it the military or law enforcement, that is good for physical longevity on, on any level, whether we're talking about blast trauma or just wearing 40 pounds of gear constantly and running and hiking uphill and whatnot. Yeah, your knees don't last too long. My first posting was in the 3rd Battalion PPCLI, which was uh, the high-speed, low-drag battalion, and we were insanely fit. Um, But that came at one hell of a price because we did it without the right equipment, and uh, there's a lot of guys that didn't make it past the age of 23 before their hips or knees blew out. And and then that was it. No more young man. Old man for life. Right. Um, It's... uh it's pretty astonishing. And, uh, you know, I I tip my hat to a lot of the operators that I know that are oftentimes carrying a payload of well over a hundred pounds with no ACL damaged PCL, you know, all kinds of damage to their knees, hips, backs, and they're out there doing everything they can to stay in the fight. Um, I just wish we had more downtime for them not just to be able to heal the joints and, and body issues, but also the, the brain issues that come from um, being in, in large explosions often and, and sometimes this, the long-term effects of the smaller explosions as well. So which um, uh, we talked about which ones have the best efficacy, but uh, which, which organizations are you funding the, the most frequently with, with your work? So like I said, we, we've focused primarily on um, the hormone therapy. And some people may need the full payout load of uh, supplements and uh, testosterone, estrogen blockers, um, human growth hormone. That's kind of the, the total package. So one person may just need the supplements. They may just need vitamins to address endocrine system uh, re-regulation and, and uh, optimal function. Um, and, and just as a side note, Dr. Gordon's protocol specifically is meant for you to not need it long-term. So this is not something that a lot of people think of testosterone therapy or TRT and assume once you commit to it, that's a lifelong commitment. He has a special blend that he's utilizing that is designed to ideally get your body producing its optimal amounts again. So we're re-regulating the endocrine system to produce optimal levels of all of those hormones and then get you off of it. So once you're producing as you should be, you don't need the protocol anymore. Once we've relieved the the neural inflammation, re-regulated the endocrine system, it's smooth sailing again. For people that are utilizing MERT, and some people may need to come in immediately and start addiction treatment, as we're starting the addiction treatment, which would be a 30-day program for most, we would start the hormone therapy and then get them the MERT as well, which is the electromagnetic stimulation to the brain. Some people may need all three of those. Um, Some people may need one. Some may just need abbreviated portions of one or all. So it's, it's definitely being done on a, um, individual basis, dependent on needs. Um, the really intriguing part that, um, we're excited about and that we're starting to see a lot of, um, uh, energy and focus pointed towards is the, are are the psychedelic options to kind of round the entirety of the process out. Um, and how are you navigating the legalities of that right now? Good question. Uh, so in, in the U.S., psilocybin and some different forms of psychedelics such as MDMA, uh, ayahuasca, and some, there's, there's a lot of debate over the efficacy of ayahuasca in the states versus doing it in, in the indigenous nations that it is derived from. But um, if it's being done under the premise of medical research, these substances can often be utilized depending state dependent, obviously Texas of all places. Um, and, and we have a lot of friends that, uh, are, are, 
or helping our organization or affiliated that that we're involved with pushing legislation through to allow for uh, I believe it's just psilocybin right now, but psilocybin to be utilized as a method of treatment for PTSD. Personally, I've, I've found huge success in um, macro and micro dosing psilocybin. Um, I don't think that it can be utilized as uh, recreational while you're trying to go through this healing process. But um, I've known a number of different guys that have utilized psilocybin, ayahuasca, ibogaine, which is an African hallucinogen. And what the overwhelming message is when they come out of this, and you and I spoke about this a little bit earlier, um, as, as operators, it is wildly important that we have this, this belief and trust in our training, that our training is so effective and we understand how to utilize it so well that it makes us superior to our enemy. And if we follow our protocols and do what we know, we're, we're better than anybody else. That is a survival technique that works. Uh, it's, it's what'll get you to rush into the fire. So that inflates our ego on some level, and it's a necessity in my opinion. What we don't realize is that ego also goes in the other direction and inflates all of our insecurities and negative thoughts about ourselves. And when we get sick, those become magnified to a, a much, met, much greater level. What these psychedelics oftentimes do for, for individuals that take advantage of the process and, and what we hear repetitively, it's a neutralization of the ego. So we're not feeling horrible about ourselves. We're not feeling great about ourselves. We see ourselves for what we truly are and others for who they truly are. And you just get a better perspective on your life as a whole, how you want to heal. When I was struggling the most with alcohol, and look, if I'm being completely transparent, I tried my absolute hardest to manage. I wanted to believe that I was not an alcoholic and that I could continue drinking even when I was starting treatment. I eventually did a deep dive with mushrooms and the revelation that I saw was nothing good has come from alcohol. And the only reason I'm <laughs> they told me the to same it, thing. Yeah. I'm almost holding on to this person that I thought I wanted to be. And I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be healed and I want to help other people find this freedom as well. Alcohol couldn't be there. And if we think about it physiologically, are you dry now? Are you sober now? I've been sober for uh, a while now. I, I was initially keeping track of the days and then I had this very kind of epiphany that oops, you can get sorry. a nap you can get a nap sorry. for your phone and it's a sober sober counter so you can go to it and look at how many days whenever you want I'm, this is I'm my about a year and a half you're a year and a half both that yeah Congrat congratulations thanks man this is my second time kicking booze I was 29 the first time and I made it um, till I was 41. It was almost 13 years. And I, I kept very loose track of, of how often it was. This time around, it was such a, um, a promise to myself that as I started tracking the amount of time that I had been sober, I realized it doesn't matter. I'm not going back to it. I, I, I know what year it was, so I have a general idea. But if I'm keeping track, to me, that means there's an end goal. And I don't want there to be an end goal. I, have I look at no it a little differently. It's more like, um, <clears throat> as a, for instance, I've been learning French. And, and the favorite thing is looking at how many days in a row am I now. And, and I'm at 320 or whatever it is. And, but that's that sense of accomplishment. It's for the same reason that you, make, that you make your bed every morning. You make your bed. It, I just got a win. Look at me. I, I wasn't a lazy plug. I made the bed. You know, it's a win. And so every single day that you go without having a drink, that is a win. And, yeah. and of course, the first few months are the hardest. And I think it gets a little bit easier. But, uh, oh, some days, my God, I want a whiskey. <laughs> but I, uh, but I don't. I size a glass of bourbon all night long. But <laughs> the, the really profound thing to me was... A, probably six, eight weeks after I had really made the decision um, that I was not going to try to manage drinking anymore. I was just going to stop. There was about that six, eight week window where I would pass the liquor store and the voice inside would go, 
how bad is a six pack? It's just, like, a, it's I just, can have a six just pack. one. You can do it. It's okay. Right. <laughs> that voice doesn't even try anymore. Now yeah. it feels so it, you just, and it, I always thought people were full of shit when they would say, I just feel so much. I feel so much. I don't, I used to have a legitimate fear of going to sleep at night because I knew it was going to be a struggle and a fight. I have no issues falling asleep anymore. And if I do, I can slow the process, my head down and ask why and kind of navigate the, the why question and generally come up with an answer. And then by the time I've come up with it, I'm asleep. Um, this work, obviously, and I'm, I'm guessing you find a similar reward that it's not worth it to me. I'm, I'm a fake if I'm out there drinking and preaching the benefits of healing. Yeah, and that's a big reason if, why I stay dry. Um, yeah. that, and I've already been down this road, you know, and, and I've been sober for, I think the longest I went was about two years after I damn near killed a guy in a bar fight. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I woke up the next morning and went, wait a second. That was a little bit excessive. I wonder if he survived. I fucking don't know. And, uh, then I, I went dry because, uh, even then without mushrooms, I made the connection of, me plus booze equals things I regret. And that's what the mushrooms showed me. You know, um, some people think that the mushrooms actually take you to open up a portal to another dimension and then you're actually hearing other creatures talking to you. I think that's probably right. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. if it's not, it sure seems that way. It's, um, but whatever is on the other side that's talking to you is good. And they showed me that alcohol is a trick. It's a fucking trick and it's a trap. It, uh, it's like, oh, it feels good now. Oh, we got these good stories now because of the stuff you did while you're drinking. Oh, well, that's how you meet girls or, um, right. you know, but it's all a trick because it's, it's, it's a short-term uh, chuckles for long-term pain. And it's, it's always a trade. And when somebody's really honest, everything that, that makes you cringe when you go, ooh, I shouldn't have said that, or oh my God, why'd I do that? Or why yeah. did I sleep with this person? Uh, you look back, alcohol was always part of the formula. Absolutely. And if we're looking at it, again, from the phys physiological standpoint, um, if you are if you are tracking what we are suggesting is the 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 seed of the issue, which is damage to the brain and endocrine system, it's a central nervous system problem as a whole. If you're trying to fix these issues through supplements, hormones, however you're trying to do it, and you're trying to heal the brain, you are for lack of a better word, retarding the central nervous system every time you're ingesting booze. So it's like kicking a horse and pulling back on the reins at the same time. You're not going to get anywhere. Sorry, I got distracted by putting Nicole's, uh, well, I hope she wanted me to do that. <laughs> but putting her comment on the screen here. Um, I can't read it. It's too small. Oh, that's all right. But... What is your scope of operations, uh, Pete? As far as? Like, do you, um, do you provide or fund services across the United States? Yes. Okay, so all of the U.S.? All of the U.S. Um, I, I mean, we're, we're lucky in that the hormone therapy we can ultimately do um, primarily remotely. There are some issues with... Um, Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, I just lost Pete. Hopefully Pete comes back in here. So I'll just hang on here. That's what happens when I'm clicking on the damn buttons. I just lost Pete. Oh, son of a bitch. That's all right. Um, I'm sure Pete will come back on here in a second. But you're listening to Operation Tango. Yeah, here we are. Operation Tango Romeo. Here we go. Pete's back. There we go. Sorry about that. I think I clicked the wrong button. No worries. All right. Um, so we were able to do the majority of the hormone therapy remotely. Um, testosterone has to be they, – they can't prescribe cross-state lines. So oftentimes they'll have to get their, their general practitioner to prescribe the uh, – 
or to actually call the the prescription in. Dr. Gordon will prescribe it, um, work directly with their doctor to get that taken care of. But it's it's a fairly easy thing to remote uh, to to address remotely, and then to monitor. Um, every three months, you go in, get another blood panel. They see what what you need. Uh, if they need to add anything, if we can back off some stuff. MERT, um, the electromagnetic stimulation is popping up, um, particularly in the, the western states, but I believe in, in the eastern uh, as well. And uh, there's just different facilities spread out. Yeah, the magnets. Really to- I know people doing that. Uh, what, yeah. have you, what have you been hearing as far as efficacy with uh, the magic magnet hat that people are wearing? So that's detailed a lot in... Um, the, the film that I told you about, Quiet Explosions, which details a lot of this in a very straightforward manner. I would encourage anybody who's interested in this topic to, to check it out. But um, I spoke to one person in particular. I won't, I won't identify who it was, but they had spent a long time in the upper tiers of the, the U.S. military and said that they had not uh, been able to stay sober for more than two or three months at a time in over 25 years. And after doing MERT, they had not just hadn't. They had not just abstained from alcohol. They didn't have the desire anymore. Um, with my uh, history with with alcohol abuse, um, I am really intrigued at the idea of a lot of these methods being utilized, coupled with addiction treatment, to see if. Um, and, and I have a, a a certain bias towards addiction treatment. I feel like the and, and if it works for people, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to give the idea that I'm poo-pooing it. Uh, if it works, it's great. But I feel like a lot of it is focused purely on white knuckling instead of legitimate healing and, and, and causation. Um, and I feel like if we can incorporate, be it MERT or uh, hormone therapy into a lot of these processes, we're going to see a lot more success from, from addiction treatment as a whole. Um, there are short-term remedies. So, we were talking earlier about the suicide issue and obviously some people need immediate relief. Um, for those people, we have certain, uh, tools that we can utilize that almost act as a bridge. Um, there's the stellate ganglion block. If you're familiar with that it goes into the neck. Um, I've heard and, that that works fairly well and, and immediately, but absolutely it only lasts for a few months or something like that. It's about a six months it's similar to uh, ketamine treatment. Um, Ket- you, people, you, you, are you finding that ketamine is not a permanent fix? It's a temporary fix? Totally depends on the individual. And, and I think it depends on the amount of damage the individual is in, is in need of, of healing. Um, if we're purely talking about depression, which could be a some sort of chemical imbalance that they can focus on while they're getting the ketamine treatment, there, it could be that EMDR treatment with a, a, a psychologist or psychiatrist um, is, is able to utilize and they find relief long-term from that. But I, I think that those options are ultimately temporary solutions to, to bigger problems and that we need to utilize these other methodologies that do focus on healing in the long term. Um, I've talked to a multitude of different uh, uh, veterans in particular that have utilized ketamine and in in the, their cases or the ones that I've spoken with, it's been a temporary solution. I have spoken to some uh, professional athletes that have utilized ketamine, and at least you know they, they were probably a year. I was speaking to them within a year of them trying it, and they said that they haven't had had, had to do it any any longer. But um, like any other tool, though, to to Pete, I mean, uh, not all things are created equal. So 100%. you can't say, cause, well, I was on ketamine and it did this or it didn't do that. Yeah, but how was it administered? What was the environment? Uh, there's a ketamine clinic uh, opening just north of me in uh, Calgary, Alberta. Oh, hey, Bryce. Bryce just tuned, uh, tuned in. Um, uh, so it's called The Newly, and I've had them on the show. And the way they do it, it's a it's an in, it's an intensive four-week protocol, you know, and uh, by the time you, you pop out the other end of the mill, you're supposed to be good. But it's, it's a multi-tiered, complex, six-hour-a-day experience for weeks, right. you know, yeah. and uh, that's a lot different than, yeah, I took ketamine once. <laughs> you know, it's not the same thing. Sure. 
Um, but it, it goes to an overwhelming point that I have always felt about addiction, which is, and I, I've, I have, for better or worse, spent an abundance of time with addicts throughout my life. Not one of them were really happy abusing the drug. They didn't like the site, the drug abuse cycle that they were stuck in, whether it's heroin, alcohol, um, cocaine, uh, methamphetamine. Uh, they were trying to fix some problem and, this was the tool that they found most effective for, for fixing that problem. If you could get them in a moment of clarity and say, Hey, if I can fix the problem that you're trying to treat with heroin, would you stop using the heroin? I bet they jump at it. But our, our addiction approach when it comes to a 12 step program is in, in my humble opinion, treated like telling somebody they have a problem with a substance and if they just abstain from that substance, they will be better. That doesn't cure the problem that they were using the substance to to relieve. And yet so many professionals are still, they, they, they're blaming the substance instead of the cause for using the substance. There's nothing yeah. wrong with using, I've never used heroin, but it uh, sounds like a good time, you know. But uh, the heroin is not the damn problem. It's no. the reason that you're using the um, uh, the heroin. I don't, I want to answer one of the uh, questions here for Nicole Gorman. I'll I'll read it for you. See if you've uh, uh, can cover one or or two of it. So Nicole's asking, what do I do for chronic pain and cognitive issues? Everything I've tried hasn't helped. Have you uh, run across anything, Pete? Sure, and both of those um, are pretty commonplace within our communities. Obviously, for for the reasons that we were just mentioning. And Nicole um, here was a nine one one operator for twenty years. Sure, it. it this the umbrella that we cover with a lot of these issues and and you and I are coming at the approach from the communities that that we spend time in but i believe this is going to trickle down to a broad spectrum of of our overall populace um chronic pain depending on what it is if it's nerve damage if it is joint damage a ton can be done through mobility um deep tissue work. So you have to address, is it structural? Is it muscular? Um, what is the impetus for the pain? We don't want to, we want to get away from treating, from, from numbing the pain. We want to treat the injury at hand. So sometimes that can be done through surgery. Sometimes it can be done through, there's uh, the ready state, which I believe wholeheartedly in a guy named Kelly Sturet, who's a, a bigger guy. Um, uh, he's he's a doctor that kind of came up with the mobility model, meaning instead of stretching, we need to work on mobility, meaning we focus on the joints instead of the muscles. And if we focus on getting the joints uh, mobile, the muscles in between them will be properly stretched and the joints themselves will be allowed more freedom. Obviously, if we have structural issues with the back and whatnot, those can be addressed through things like rolfing, uh, which is another very deep tissue where they're trying to separate the fascia from the muscles itself. But th- there's a there's a plethora of different issues. That's the beauty of having th- tools like uh, YouTube to search whatever your pain issue is and try to try to find those. If she wants to reach out to me, I'd be happy to talk to her uh, further. But a lot of the cognitive issues again are going to the neural inflammation uh, cellularly. As long as that neural inflammation is there. Um, your your brain is going to continue to deteriorate. The more nine one one operators, incredibly stressful job. Um, the idea of being isolated in a room and only your only correspondence is is over the phone. That's a that's a huge anxiety. You you have a huge responsibility through communication only to try to save lives and relaying information that you're catching in one year trying to send out the other it, it, it's, yeah, it's and one another thing that uh, too many of the traditional um, modalities just ignore or don't understand or don't even try to understand is that uh, these things can get trapped in the body uh, Nicole was just commenting here that she thinks her pain is from trapped emotions and well yeah <laughs> actually yeah. that is not a woo woo idea there's a, there, there is science showing that that is actually true and uh, to answer Nicole here, um, 
it, it, just like Pete says, it's all about the diagnosis. Him and I are not clinicians. We're just people with lived experience. But I do know that uh, the ketamine clinic in, in Calgary here, they're, a big part of what they do is addressing chronic pain. And I'll, I would also suggest that if you are correct, and it's a matter of, um, at least in part of trapped emotions, to find what they call a shaman and uh, give psychedelics a whirl. Uh, do it safely and and do it with some guidance, but give it a whirl. Psil- psilocybin um, is definitely my friend, and yeah. uh, uh, give it a try and 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 see if you can get anything uh, uh, from that. Other- I would all, I would add to that. Um, there's there's an incredible book called Chasing the Tiger. Interesting. And the author studied predator prey responses in the natural um, habitats. And uh, he equates all of that learned knowledge to human responses to trauma, both short-term and long-term, and how we can better deal with it and process that trauma. Uh, I wish that I would have read and absorbed the information when I was still active in the community. But I think uh, if, if she has the headspace to uh, sit down and try to digest a lot of that, it could probably go a long way in helping her just understand the mechanics of what's going on in dealing with those. But, you know, she's, she's being exposed to prolonged stress. She's being exposed. And what people need to understand for 911 operators is the prolonged stress is not just the active calls. You're also in, incurring a, a, a lot of stress in anticipating the next call. What's the next thing going to be that's going to throw Every me Every time that phone rings, you're like, oh, fuck, what's on the other it's a side? It's really vulnerable feeling. Also, the sleep imbalances. So those two alone will lead to a tremendous amount of neuroinflammation and endocrine system dysfunction. Yeah, it creates uh, the uh, negative feedback loop. The problem creates problems which create other problems. Yeah. And uh, and when, what we're told to do through through culture is, let's go for a drink after work. Hey, want to join me yeah. down at the bar? And yeah, it feels awful good. Good. Because yeah, there is a chemical response that's happening inside your body that in the moment, alcohol is a great coping tool. It is, but it's, it does the opposite of healing, and, and that's how it tricks you. It, it's, um, it's a trap. And it starts that cycle of, today I can't sleep, so I'm going to use alcohol. Tomorrow I wake up. Now my anxiety levels are heightened because of the alcohol from last night. Um, I'm going through my day. Now I feel stressed coupled with the anxiety that I've carried over. So I need to drink again. <laughs> and now I'm making bad that. decisions and my relationship is under stress. So that's causing problems and, and down the toilet you raised. go. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a gross cycle that inevitably ends in the same place. Yeah. Um, which is no fun. Dead or in bed. Yes. All right, Pete, uh, we're at about an hour here. How can people get a hold of you? We are uh, at asmfoundation.com. That's our website. Uh, Elva, Sierra Mike, foundation.com. ASM, uh, we're on Instagram, LinkedIn at ASM. I'm on Instagram at Alpine Water Buffalo, uh, which was a, a nickname <laughs> I, I received from the search and rescue team. Um, so yeah, we're on, uh, social media. Um, we'll be doing more benefits and whatnot to try to raise money and awareness as we continue forward. But, um, yeah, like I said, we're, we're trying to raise as much money as we can and awareness about this issue. Um, all donations are tax deductible. So if, uh, people need to unload some money for a good cause, we would be happy to put it to good use. All right, and I'll be putting links to that uh, in the show notes. This episode is currently live streaming on Facebook Live on two different pages as well as LinkedIn. Um, so thank you to everybody that has made comments on the uh, I see on the Facebook Live and for tuning in. Uh, to tune in to any of the other shows, this will be episode 152, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you can go to any of the podcast channels, Spotify, Google, Anchor.fm, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back. And tune on in. Pete, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, sir. Stay on Good the line. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. You well. Stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.
everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.